All right, guys, welcome back to Lesson 39, also known as Exodus 22. I'm just going to freely admit something. There are times when you're studying Scripture that you struggle to stay awake. This was one of them for me. I know the Word of God is alive and active. I don't know, have any of you, as you're reading early in the morning or late at night, have any of you, have any of you ever caught yourself in, in this reading, 39 lessons, falling asleep in the Scriptures? Guys, Jeff, you have? Which one did you fall asleep on? Do you remember? Uh, I'm not. not sure. <laughs> Take your pick, right? <laughs> Kevin, have you yet? I actually was reading this last night. Yeah. You dozed off? Yeah. In the last couple of days, we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments. And just yesterday, we talked about the ordinances. And just that word alone makes me tired. Ordinances. It's like that emoji, meh. Meh. That's how I feel about Lesson 39. Meh. <laughs> You're like, well, stop right now. Just hang on here, don't you? There are some interesting things that I can't believe I'm going to teach on today. So Exodus 22, verse 1. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and, a butcher, and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. You guys have any idea why? Why so drastic? I want to challenge it, just something here. Uh, I want to talk about how David, Kevin, can you go to 2 Samuel 12, verse 6? We're going to get into a little bit of David and Bathsheba again. We talked about that with the bathing and the, and the washing of the new clothes. And uh, Watch this. In 2 Samuel 12, 6, because he had done this thing and showed no, no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Okay, kind of an interesting. So David, we would consider a sheep stealer. Okay, kind of an interesting. But here's how I would say this. And this was not for me, okay? Warren Wearsby puts all of this together for me, and I, I love this image. If David's a sheep stealer, then Bathsheba would be the sheep. Now, here's where I want to go one step further. You must pay four lambs for that lamb. David, because of this sin, again, I can't prove it. I just want you to think a little bit differently when reading Scripture. I think David already had to deal with the fourfold uh, uh, payment. One is 2 Samuel 12, 18. 2 Samuel 12, 18. First of all, it says that right there, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? The baby died. David's baby died. There's one. Let's go to number two. Go to 2 Samuel 13, 28 through 29. I just, this is a weird study, but I felt like the Lord really started showing some things here. 2 Samuel 13, 28. Now Absalom, remember Absalom, you guys, and, and uh, Amnon? Absalom commanded his young men, watch Amnon until... He's in a good mood from the wine. When I order you to strike Amnon, then kill him. Don't be afraid. Am I not the one who's commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Verse 29 then. All of a sudden, David loses another one. Absalom's young man did to Abnon just as Absalom had commanded. So Amnon was killed. So David lost uh, a baby and then he lost a son. There's two sheep that are gone. Now let's go to number three. 2 Samuel 18 verse 14. 2 Samuel 18 verse 14 uh, just another interesting way to look at how David had to repay. Uh, Joab said, um, I'm not going to waste this time with you. Then he took three spears in his hand and thrust them into Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the oak tree. Verse 15, and 10 young men who were Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him and killed him. Yeah, it's pretty drastic. So you have a baby that's dead, Amnon's dead, Absalom, son of David, dead. And then go to 2 Samuel 13, 14. 2 Samuel 13, 14. Uh, here you have, you guys know who this is? Tamar. Tamar, his daughter, 
is raped. You know, again, I'm not trying to make things look where they don't work, but I thought it was an interesting observation that one thing led to another. He took one thing and then he lost four things. Interesting observation. The reality is, is that this is practically talking about uh, cattle and sheep. But I think sometimes from a spiritual, I think God speaks to our hearts in different ways. In verse 2 of Exodus 22, if a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. Okay, if a a thief is caught breaking in, he's beaten to death, this is a nighttime mentality. If somebody's breaking in at night and you kill them, you're not guilty. In verse 3, though, but if this happens after sunrise, there is guilt of bloodshed. So there's an unnecessary expression, as Wearsby says, of revenge that didn't need to happen in daylight. There's guilt of bloodshed. A thief must make full restitution. If he's unable, he is to be sold because of his theft. So I owe you something. Uh, I can't pay you. Hence, slavery comes into play, and now he has to become a slave. So he, he wouldn't have been beaten to death there. So No, that is not. He was not beaten to death. That's, he survived. <laughs> Good point, Kevin. Uh, Verse 4, if what was stolen, whether ox, donkey, or sheep, is actually found alive in his possession, he must repay double. Double. You're like, dang it, I should have gotten rid of it first. You know, kind of deal. So, moral of the story, don't steal. All right, go to number 5. Verse 5, when a man lets a field or vineyard be grazed in, and then allows his animal to go and graze in somebody else's field, he must repay with the best of his own field or vineyard. I love this one. Because you want to know why? There's no fences back then. They don't have fences. How do we know? Go to Deuteronomy 19.14, if you would. Deuteronomy 19.14, kind of an interesting observation. Uh, You must not move your neighbor's boundary marker. So... All right, John, I'll go to the drawing board. All right, so, so these, are, these are the markers. So there's no fences. There's, there's none of that. It, these are the markers. So naturally, an animal is going to just come across. So you can't move your neighbor's marker. Or that throws everything off. I like it over here. <laughs> and so, but what happens when a man lets uh, his field be grazed in, and then he just lets his animals go? Well, he's got to repay from the best of his best from his field or vineyard. So that happens, and so like a good neighbor, uh, the animals don't know, you got to repay. Verse 6, when a fire gets out of control, spreads the thorn bushes, and consumes stacks of cut grain, standing grain, or a field, the one who started the fire must make full restitution for what was burned. I mean, that sounds super obvious. Obviously, you know, if you start the fire, you're going to have to repay it. That's really kind of all I want to say. I would just say this, though, that word full restitution that word restore or restitution, in Exodus 22 alone, you have it six times. So again, it has this mentality of if something's done, everything has to be repaid in full. Okay, verse 7. Let me say something here. I think this is cool, though. Uh, The full restitution, uh, the Hebrew word shalan, S-H-A-L-A-N, I believe. Shalan or shalam, uh, it, it means to make whole or to make complete. So that restitution means you're making something back to what it was, which then I like is how it's tied so closely to shalom, where peace comes into play. So when you make it full, have you guys ever had anything that's just you're super unsettled about? Like you have this just this constant 
anxiety or anxiousness. And like you need that peace. When you, when you bring full restitution, that peace begins to come into play. Okay, so keep going then. Verse 7, when a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep, but they are stolen from that person's house, the thief, if caught, must repay double. So you got to repay double what was stolen. Verse 8, if a thief is not caught, the owner of the house must present himself. I just feel like, I feel like I'm working for an insurance company right now or something, you know? This is what, how we're going to handle this in Richardson. <laughs> if the thief is not caught, the owner of the house must present himself to the judges to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. So, Your Honor, I, I really didn't take uh, the red ball that, you know, that kid says that I took. You know, you get the point. You have to present yourself. Uh, and if it's crazy enough, um, it's all about a presentation. Rich, it goes back to your thing that you said yesterday about a heart condition. This whole thing comes down to a heart condition. Verse 9, in any case of wrongdoing involving an... I think they only had so many animals, you know? Involving an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or anything else. So we're talking about people's belongings now, okay? So, we, you know, strangely enough, uh, we've gone from stealing animals, we've gone to talking about crops, now we're just talking about belongings, okay? So, or anything else lost, and somebody claims, that's mine. The case between the two parties is to come before the judges. The one the judges condemn must repay double to his neighbor. You know, right away, I think of Solomon, don't you guys? You remember, that, that's my, my baby. No, that's my baby. And then he says, well, fine, cut the baby in half. No, you can keep the baby. Then you know who the mom really was. That's what we're after in these judges. We're after about who is really right and where's the heart condition. And then when you're found guilty, you pay double to the neighbor. Uh, it kind of makes me think, though, too, a little bit about Joseph and his brothers. About how, um, there's just a couple scenarios there, but... You know, they came back and, and basically just said, you know, they lied. They lied. They lied to their dad. <sighs> Do I want to get into that? I just did. I don't know. I want to keep going back to the heart condition because I think those brothers, it's, it's weird to me how jealousy and bitterness led to them doing the wrong things. So when I look at this kind of a scenario, how does a person get to that point of stealing something from their neighbor? Well, obviously... There's something more than what, than what we, than we don't see. That's all I'm trying to get at, is that when you look at this case study, I got to say, okay, Lord, what, what's wrong with this person and why they're stealing? Same thing with the brothers and why they lied. Verse 10, when a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to care for. So like, I need you to watch my animal while I travel to Indiana. That, that'd be the scenario. But it dies, is injured or stolen while no one is watching. Then there must be an oath before the Lord between the two of them to determine whether or not he's taken his animals, his neighbor's property. Its owner must accept the oath and the other man does not have to make restitution. <laughs> have you guys ever taken care of something and something's gone bad? Can you think of a specific example? I had the opposite happen to me. What happened? Somebody was watching your stuff? Uh-huh, yeah. Revi happened? Revive Asheville. What happened? Chickens and a dog came Somebody, back. Somebody's watching your chickens and a dog and then what happened? Uh, well, when we came back, eight chickens were dead, and our dog was gone, only to be found down the road, run over. <laughs> Did you take an oath? <laughs> My mother was watching him. <laughs> so you honored your mother? <laughs> uh, yeah, no striking, no cursing. No cursing. Or you will die. I, I'm honoring my mom. It was a, a, a pure accident. <laughs>
Well, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> hey, you asked. I did. That was a good one. I don't, that story speaks for itself. All right, verse 12. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No restitution needs to take place if they both agree that it was all done and it, there was nothing done wrong by the other party, okay, according to this and according to your family. But if, in fact, the animal was stolen from the custody, he must make restitution to its owner. Verse 13, if it was actually torn apart by a wild animal, he has to bring it as evidence. <laughs> Your Honor. <laughs> Little peaches. <laughs> I mean, this is morbid, isn't it not? You have to bring your dead animal in front of somebody. See, look. He doesn't have to make restitution for the torn carcass. <laughs> what does a judge go? Hmm? Yep, that was mauled. <laughs> when a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and is injured or died while its owner is not there with it, the man must make full restitution. In other words, he was entrusted with something. He wasn't there. Now he has to pay it back. Okay, verse 15. If an owner is there with it, the man does not have to make restitution. If it was rented, this is cool, the loss is covered by its rental price. Oh, man, I, I paid for my town and country rental van. You know, I paid for my Dodge Caravan rental. Yeah, we rear-ended it. Don't have to pay for it because we paid it in the rental price. I mean, that's, that's what we're getting at today. Am I right? So it's kind of interesting. All right, that's the personal belonging. So we have randomness. We have stolen animals. We have crops. We have other belongings. Just so you know, this is a culture, a community where they're doing life together. And so just picture... Just they're like they're wandering around. And as they're wandering around, when people get bored, what do they do? They cause problems. <laughs> when you're wandering around and you're bored, you know what happens in a lot of inner cities in America? People steal. We've seen it over and over, over again in really rough parts of town. When people are bored, they do dumb things. I remember my first prayer request in Flint, Michigan. And I know I have a lot of Flintstones that are, that are going through Revive School. One of my first prayer requests was somebody just said, please pray that my house doesn't burn down. Like, what do you mean? She said, I think it was something like, well, three houses have burned down in this street in like the last two months in DuPont, off of DuPont. That's because when people lose their jobs, like happened in Flint, then crime just started to pick up. They were burning houses. They were killing people. And so like in my mind, that's my mindset. I think, well, what's happening in Israel is, is that sometimes people, they don't know what they're doing right now. Uh, hmm. I mean, if you think about it, they're just wandering around the desert. What do they have to do anyway? It's like, kind of like, well, hey, sand, Ke- Kevin's, sand, vo- sand volleyball. Kevin's got a lot of sheep. I only have a few. Well, I mean, they got 735 commands to live by, right, Kevin? <laughs> hey, let's go to one of those, Rich. 613 commands. What's one of them that you're reading through that you just think is really interesting right now? <laughs> um. So one, I don't know if these are listed in number, but according to this website, number 413 says not to eat the second tithe of the cereals outside Jerusalem. And that is based on Deuteronomy 12, 17. So only Israeli cereal. You got it. You apparently got to eat it inside Jerusalem. It's awesome. All right, let's go back. We're, we're almost done here. Remember, this is the one that I fell asleep. And so... Uh, you know, it's real, but this is where I woke up because things just get weird, okay? Now we're going to talk about sed- uh, um, uh, seduction. Seduction? Seduce. Seduction. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> 
verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin, okay, uh, a young woman who is not engaged, and he has sexual relations with her, he must certainly pay the bridal price for her to be his wife. Okay, uh, I'm going to read through this and I'll explain it. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must pay an amount of, in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. So here's the deal. A girl is property of a father. That's just how it's perceived. When a young couple has premarital sex, so before, if they have relations before they uh, become wed, a man then must marry the young woman. And then he must give a payment, a dowry, to the father-in-law. Okay, do you see how this happens? Okay, so he has to pay outright to the father-in-law because of now he has taken on his daughter. If her father refuses to give the daughter to him, then that son-in-law, which is not the son-in-law, but the boy, must pay an amount in silver equal to the bridal price for virgins. Super messy. Two young people have sex. The father says, eh, I don't want you to be married. I don't want you to be a part. The young guy says, okay, fine. Now I have to pay up and I have to give you an amount for the bridal price for virgins. Okay, makes sense. Um, there was something here. I looked up some homework on this uh, about what that bridal price could be. Kevin, can you go to Deuteronomy twenty-two nineteen? I'm, I'm just going to tell you now, I can't 100% back this up. Okay, I'm just going to go to Deuteronomy 22:19. I was just curious on what the price would be. Uh, it says they will also find him a hundred silver shekels, silver shekels, hundred silver shekels. Try to say that three times. Hundred silver shekels, and give them to the young woman's father because of that man gave an Israelite virgin a bad name. I think this could be the price. What you think? This this sure seems like it fits. She will, but this is the part where I got confused. And she will remain his wife. He cannot divorce her as long as he lives. So in this context, I'm not sure. But let's just say even though they split, maybe it was 100 silver, silver shekels. It's a thought. You guys want to say it. I know you do. Silver. Silver shekels. Now, uh, I do want to say something, though, about the premarital sex. Because in our generation today, for some reason, people think it's okay. For some reason, people think it's okay to live together. For some reason, people think it's okay that they can have sex and that they can take these new pills, that they can have condoms, they can just, whatever. It's sinful. And I just want to just, if there's younger people watching, I have no problem saying this because it will lead to major problems. Look what happened to David and Bathsheba. He lost four family members that I believe ended up catching up with him just because of maybe one sin. Can't prove that, but I just really believe that these things catch up. In Genesis 2, 24 this is how God designed it. Genesis 2, 24, what happens is that when a man and woman come together, the scripture says they become one flesh. So if you decide to have premarital sex outside of marriage, you're saying I become one flesh with that person, and then I become one flesh with that person, and then one flesh with that person. God designed it for one person, one man, one woman, and they become one flesh. And I have no problem telling you again, in Genesis, I believe it's 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, God didn't design it man and man. He didn't design it woman and woman. He designed it man and woman. And the more we confuse that in America, I promise you, it doesn't look good for this country. Our church, the body of Christ, needs to begin declaring the truth. Or God have mercy on our country. 
All right, verse 18. Uh, then he just starts listing things. <laughs> this is really kind of how it works. This is called bullet point ordinances. Ordinances. You must not allow a sorceress to live. In other words, somebody who's doing magic, black magic constituted as an attempt to, as one commentator says, to override God's will. If they are trying to override God's will with their magic, by the way, kill them. Okay, next topic. Verse 19. Whoever has sexual intercourse with an animal must be put to death. I don't even need to talk about that. Just kill them. <laughs> That's so weird. Sorcerers, sexual intercourse with animals. And then in verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any gods except the Lord alone is to be set apart for destruction. It, he, all of a sudden, he's just the, the greatest temptation that Israel has as many commentators say, is to go into false idolatry. They, they look to the false gods. We're going to get to the, the golden calf down the road. We're going to get to all these, these uh, altars that people start building. Just telling you, it's the Lord and the Lord alone. Scripture continues on when you get to verses 21 through 27. Not going to go through it all, but all I want to just say is, is that here you have the Lord saying, I want to protect, uh, as, as one commentator says, the vulnerability. The, the vulnerable. I want you to watch out for the foreigners that can't take care of themselves. I want you to take care of, in verse 22, the widows or the fatherless ch- child. And if you mistreat them, I promise you I'm going to hear their cry and I will hear their cry and you're going to hear me and my anger is going to burn and I will, Scripture says in verse 24, I'll kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and then your children will be fatherless and then they're just worse off than when you started. And so he gets into this whole vulnerable, like be careful of how you treat those that are around you that maybe can't quite take care of themselves. In fact, in verse 25, it says, if you lend money to my people, to the poor person among you, you must not be like a money lender to him. You must not charge him any interest. In fact, I would like to propose the opposite. Kevin, go to Proverbs 28.8. I want you actually to be generous to the poor. Proverbs 28.8, it just says this. Uh, Whoever increases his wealth through excessive interest, collects it for one who is kind to the poor. Isn't that cool? He flips it. Instead of charging people interest, oh, by the way, because you're making money off of interest, would you, would you just bless others with this? Just a cool image. Instead of saying, oh, woe is me about these people, how can you bless them? How can you pour out your love? And if, if, if the Israelites would stop complaining and grumbling and stealing and fighting and, and getting into weird sexual things and start focusing on the Lord, they would naturally start blessing those around them. And it goes back to this heart condition where if your eyes are on the Lord and not yourself, I promise you, you will want to bless as many people as you can. Scripture says in verse 26, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset because there's a really good chance he needs that to stay warm. He might need that as a covering. That might be all he has. It might be what he sleeps with. And so the point is, quit trying to think, talking to the Israelites, about yourselves, but think about others. And that's really Jesus' whole message. Love God and love others. Verse 28, you must not blaspheme God or curse a leader among your people. Don't speak sacrilegiously against God. And oh, by the way, don't curse your leader. (laughs) I bet Moses put that on billboards throughout the wilderness. Do not curse a leader among your people. Which leader? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) 
You know, over and over again, like it's against the law, even at times, to speak against uh, the rulers. Paul, you guys remember this? Paul, Paul even actually said he apologized for speaking against uh, Kevin. Let's go there. Twenty three. Acts twenty three, verse four and five. Acts twenty three, verses four and five. And those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? And then it says in verse five, I didn't know, brothers, that it was the high priest. For it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so this goes back to the very beginning in Exodus. Who would have thought? Exodus 22 talks about not speaking against a leader. And Paul references the same thing. Isn't that cool? So there's a lot of things that continue to tie together. It's a lot. All right, we're going to wrap this thing up. The last three verses. You must not hold back your offerings from your harvest or your bats. He just says, I want you to be generous. I want you to give me the best of the best. And it's implemented in Acts 22, verse 29. I want you to give the first fruits that are required to give to several offerings. I want you to give your firstborn of your sons. Maybe that's where they started getting their priests. I just don't want you to delay the obedience. I just don't want you to delay what I'm asking you to give. I want you to give as much as you can. In verse 30, do the same, not just with your firstborn or your sons. I want you to do the same with your cattle and your flock. Let them stay with your mothers for seven days. I want them to get stronger. I want these animals to develop. But then on the eighth day, you are to give them to me. Don't, don't try to hold back, okay? Don't try to hold back what I'm asking of you. And then in verse 31, be my holy people. You guys remember the, the three things that we talked about yesterday in, in the heart of the Pentateuch? All right, Tom, did you take note? Ah. <laughs> all right, in, in the Pentateuch, all right, in, in Exodus 21, he says, uh, 21, uh, 19. Uh, this is how many days we are ahead of us. Uh, in Exodus 19, he says, Israel, in the Mosaic Covenant, in this conditional covenant, I want you to know I have three things about you. The first one is what? Special treasure. You are a special treasure in my eye. Praise the Lord. The second one is Jeff Hart. You remember the second one? I remember priesthood. You got it. Kingdom of priests. You're a kingdom of priests. And then Kevin, number three. No idea. Be holy. <laughs> yeah, be holy. Holy nation. Yeah. Look, it's right there. Be my holy people. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of set it up for him. Way to go, Rich. The third one is be a holy nation. Oh, Kevin. It's been a long day, hasn't it? All right. 735. <laughs> now, now, look, I'm just, this is... This is this is how it closes, you guys. We're in Exodus 22. In the end of 30, verse 31 is, By the way, don't eat the meat of a mauled animal found in the field. Throw it to the dogs. Be my holy people. And then he gets into this. You know how weird it would be? Is if Kevin's like, man, I sure am hungry. <laughs> and then we find Kevin on the side of Arapaho, and he found a dead squirrel. He's like, hmm, this looks good. Like, that would, that would be weird. And I think that's exactly what the Lord is saying. Please. Don't eat the animals that are mauled on the side of the road. Just throw them to the dogs. You are a holy person. You are my holy people that I have called to. And Psalm 37 says, you don't have to beg for food. The righteous don't have to beg. I'm going to give it to you. You are my special treasure. You are the kingdom of priests. And yes, you are a holy people. So you don't have to get down to this level. I'll take care of you. And these ordinances, I believe, continually point them back to the Lord. Do you remember, he says, what I've done? I've delivered you. What? Through the, through the lamb, the innocent lamb. Through what? Through the hyssop and the blood that we put on the post. Through what? The staff that has set so many people free, uh, free through the plagues. And then even the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire at night. 
He said, I'm with you in all of these things. I want you to act like I've changed your life. I want you to act like I've delivered you. I want you to act like when you're in the wilderness, I've got your back. You don't need to eat mauled food on the side of the road. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I'll, I'll take care of you. All right, guys, lesson 39. Well done. You made it through another list of ordinances. I've never taught through ordinances, and I know you're like, yeah, I can tell. But you know what? What's really cool about this? God's in all of it. All of this points to the Messiah. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. 